Amen. What an awesome song to start off a message. Uh, Let's bow in prayer and just ask God to oversee this time as we look into the Word of God. Father, we come before you today, and we come with this idea of your goodness and thankfulness on our hearts. Um, Lord, so we pray that as we open up your Word, that that would become very real to us, and that we would be uh, just... uh, radical in our thanksgiving to you this morning i pray that as i share your word this morning that your spirit would empower me to be able to share it in power and in truth and that we would be convicted that we would be drawn into your reality rather than our reality uh so let lord we pray that you would open our eyes like uh you opened the eyes of elisha's servant lord as he looked around and saw that the hills were filled with your angels and your power was displayed to him lord may that be our case this morning for we ask this in jesus name amen well i want to show you a picture of ricky mcgee he's an australian who while driving through the outback he picked up a hitchhiker normal enough but the next thing he remembers is waking up in a shallow grave <laughs> and there were dogs wild dogs trying to get him out of the plastic bag that he was wrapped in and uh, kind of eat him i guess and this is what he wakes up to and he's like what's going on and he scares away the dogs and he goes out looking for his car and he can't find his car anywhere and then he's like where am i and he doesn't know where he is and and he's He just starts going, well, what am I going to do? And so for the next 71 days, he ends up staying in the Australian outback. You know, in that rugged area, there's, you know... There's not much to survive on. He, he, he constructs a, a traditional humpy, uh, you know, and... Uh, but he doesn't know where he is. He's faced to live there, and uh, he's eating frogs leeches can you believe it he eats snakes and he drinks his own urine to survive Ugh, disgusting i know and at night he barricades the shelter to keep the dingoes away uh trying to eat him in his sleep you know uh eventually 71 days over three months later he's found and uh, he lost over 100 pounds. He, he, his weight was cut in half. Can you imagine losing half of your weight while on a diet of frogs and leeches? Ugh, not too much fun. And he, anyways, he ends up going to the hospital. They treat him for malnutrition and severe dehydration. Um, but could you imagine taking your entire family out into the outback and trying to survive? For months at a time i mean it's just like blows your mind but you know what that's pretty much what god called the israelites to do as they left egypt they went into not the australian out, outback but it's even worse in the sinai peninsula it's awful i mean it's just absolute dead barren wasteland uh, the Bible says the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin. Uh, I know you could preach a whole great message about the desert of Sin, but Sin doesn't actually, it's just a transliteration. It doesn't mean Sin. It actually means, uh, uh, oh, I forget what it means. But anyways, uh, anyways, let's carry on. Which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt, Uh, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, here's a little map 
the best that we can figure out is that Elam is here on the map, uh, number five. There you can see. I, I don't know if you can see that. Um, and and then point number six on that map is is the wilderness of sin. But anyways, we want to focus on this idea that the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, when I read all these different commentaries, all of them expressed how terrible it was that the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. And after, I mean, after they'd been rescued from, from Egypt with them so miraculously with the amazing 10 plagues, uh, and then the miraculous ca- crossing of the sea, and then the healing of the waters of Meribah, how could they forget all of that? Well, let me tell you. After a month and a half of wandering around in and around the mountains and wastelands of the Sinai Peninsula, you might not be thinking of the incredible miracles you saw. <laughs> you might just be wondering, where's my next meal? Where am I going to get a drink? This is not the kind of place to live in. To this day, nobody lives there. Uh, you know, everyone is fighting over Israel, right? Everybody wants the land of Israel. Well, it's interesting that Israel captured the Sinai Peninsula after they had been attacked in the Six-Day War. And they conquered all of Sinai Peninsula. But 15 years later, they just gave it all back to Egypt because they're like, who wants this chunk of land anyway? There's nothing here. It's just desert wasteland. And so back to Moses. Uh, Moses' day, they had found water at Elam. But now after leaving Elam, after a month and a half, Surprise, surprise, they ran out of food. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a survivor, kind of like Ricky McGee. If I was ended up on the Australian outback or in the Sinai Peninsula, I kind of feel like, oh, I, I might be able to survive, and it'll be interesting to try, and I don't want to that much, maybe when I was younger. But, <laughs> but you know, to be out there with young children and my wife, 45 days in the blazing sun, Ugh, running out of food seems like a terrifying event. Absolutely terrifying. I remember being out with Aaron and Jason one time, and our boat died on, on Lac Blanc. And this idea that we were going to be stranded out there for a, a night or two nights, it was kind of scary. Um, but to be in a desert with no food, no water, two million people... Absolutely no chance of finding anything edible to eat after, you know, a couple hundred thousand people have scoured the land for anything that might move or or any kind of vegetation and eaten it all. Uh, Who wouldn't be thinking of back at Egypt, you know, the provisions they had there? Sure, it was slavery, but slavery is better than death by starvation, don't you think? So let's not be too quick to judge these people when it says... When the whole congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, if we had only died by the hand of the Lord and back in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread until we were stuffed. For you brought us out here into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) Now, first of all, who brought them out there? Was it Moses? It was a God. Now, all the commentators I've consulted, they, they all think that these Israelites were narrow-minded, quickly forgetting the cruelty of Egypt, you know, and the goodness of God. 
Well, what I'd like to say about these commentators is I don't think they've ever been in a desert without water and food for 45 days, okay? Because I, I don't even have to imagine very much all of those miracles being forgotten after 45 days in a desert. But the thing is, even though their situation was absolutely dire, it's very clear that they're complaining. It was not healthy. This is what, the, what Moses says. The, the Lord has heard your grumbling against him. <laughs> Who are we that you should grumble against us? Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Grumbling against the Lord? That just, no matter how you slice it, that is not a positive statement, okay? <laughs> they were in rough, rough shape. And Moses is pointing out that they were grumbling against the Lord. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that grumbling about COVID, the lockdowns, the government, the slowness of the vaccine rollout, it seems to be all the rage right now. I mean, it's just like, that's what we do when we get together. We grumble about our situation. The, the number one response to COVID is grumbling. <laughs> it's just like, that's what we got to do. But if you'd, rather, if you'd ask me, I'd rather be in a lockdown with the COVID crisis any day rather than being out in the middle of a desert with snakes and scorpions and no water and no food. I mean, uh, so if their grumbling is seen as grumbling about against God, what about our grumbling? Maybe God sees that as against him as well. So I got to ask you, is grumbling or complaining your default setting? Is that sort of what you naturally end up doing when, whenever there's issues or problems? Uh, I've noticed that people who like to grumble, it actually doesn't matter if things are going really well or things are going really badly. They're always sort of grumbling. They're always complaining. It doesn't seem to be COVID at all. It seems to be a predisposition that we have. And even though the Israelites have had amazing experiences of God's rescue, here they are complaining. But it's a carryover, really, from their lives of slavery. Remember, they were slaves. And I imagine that as slaves, them crying out to the Lord for his help was, had become normal to them. And they're complaining to one another about their hard taskmasters and how difficult their life was and how Pharaoh had forgotten all about Joseph and all that stuff. I imagine that that was sort of their norm. So when they were rescued and they find themselves out in the des desert... That's just normal. And they give in to self-pity, grumbling, and complaining. My friends, let's not fall into this trap. There's this new idea spreading around, and it's quite common, that we need to be honest when people ask us how we're doing. Have you noticed this? People are, like today, more than 30 or 40 years ago, people are much more apt to say, oh man, I'm doing not very good when you ask them how you're doing. Back 30 years ago, everybody said, oh, I'm doing well, fine, Every, everything's great. Nowadays, oh, not so much. Now I get the idea, uh, you know, it's good to tell the truth. But what I find is that actually it just promotes negativity. 
People just, oh, I want to be honest, so I'm going to just lay out all my, all my nasty feelings about the day. And we're using honesty as a grounds for negativity. And I think a lot of times it just makes the whole thing worse. I, I've gotten to be, when people are asking me how I'm managing with, and the, Im, the impression is, how are you managing with COVID? They don't have to say it. They're just saying, so how are you managing, Pastor? Or how are you managing, managing Bill? And I can tell that they're sort of expecting a litany of difficulties that COVID has brought into my life. But when I say, great, couldn't be better, they look at me like I've lost my, my brain somehow. They're just like, what is wrong with you, you know? But honestly, I really do feel completely blessed. I have this amazing family, a wonderful wife, reasonable health. A bright future. I have supportive elders board. A great job. A great ministry. I, I don't know. It's great to be alive. And I'm very thankful. I'm not sick. I haven't lost my job. I'm not suffering a major setback. Now, I feel badly for Kendall that he's not able to pursue his career. I feel badly that Jason uh, can only have 10 people at his wedding. But I'm totally stoked that he's getting married. You know, and so, you know, yeah, I can complain, but there's so much to be thankful for. I'm just like, you know, when you complain, the problems just seem to get bigger and bigger and cause more and more frustration. I don't see the point to that. And the truth is that some of us make grumbling an art form. (laughs) We grumble habitually. We grumble if we're caught in slow traffic. We grumble if someone cuts us off. If the restaurants we like to go to are closed, we grumble, we complain, and the delivery is not fast enough. And of course, if Prime takes more than a day to deliver your goods that you've just ordered on Amazon, well, it's just not fast enough, you know? (laughs) And the lawn needs cutting again. And, And church is too long. And the worship leader is off key, and the, and the songs they chose, ah, they're not my favorite, you know? Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> That's, you know. Grumbling is a gratitude problem, really. Grumbling comes in response to pain or problems of life. And we grumble because we think that we should be experiencing pleasure rather than pain. We think that we should have prosperity rather than adversity. But God didn't promise that. And whenever we're tempted to murmur and complain, we need to review the past and remember how the Lord has actually blessed us. Many of us are like the person who said, oh, my car broke down. It cost me 400 bucks, 400 bucks I don't have. Why me, Lord? I'm kind of a pretty good person, but why are you picking on me? Uh, Why are you treating me this way? Why are you punishing me? And now my TV broke. And... And so did the dishwasher and the clothes dryer. And now my, even my iron is not working properly. What am I supposed to do? And besides that, Lord, my age, Lord, why am I having these problems? Why me? Why am I not, you know, financially set like others I know? Why have you denied me all these opportunities for fame, fortune, and you've given it to others, but not me? Well, let me tell you something. When you start thinking this way, it sometimes helped me to ask the same question about the other aspects of my life. Lord, what have I done that is so grand that you've blessed me with a car, a TV set, a clothes dryer, a lawnmower, an iron? Why have you given me all these things? Why me, Lord? 
Lord, why did you permit me to be born in Canada with all of its plenty? Why me? Why wasn't I born in Bangladesh? Why have you given me this opportunity to have a a job when so many, uh, just as deserving as I, they don't have any work? Why me, Lord? Why did you give me good health? Others have died at my age of heart attacks and crippled by accidents and disease. Why should I escape ill health while others are, and religious people don't have it even? Why me, Lord? Why have you spared me from the sorrows that strike so many families? Lord, others have lost children to various things. Why haven't I? Why me? You see what I've done there? Kind of flip that whole question on our heads. Whenever things go bad, we start having this little pity party. Don't forget, the Lord has blessed us with many things. Grumbling is a perception problem. The problem is that we grumble. When, I, when we grumble, our perception is faulty, actually. Grumbling invariably causes us to distort the facts. There's this exaggerated memory of the past. The children of Israel are exaggerating in their minds the benefits of Egypt. You know, They sat by flesh pots. I don't think slaves had a lot of time sitting around enjoying flesh pots, okay? I'm sure they had their break for lunch or dinner or whatever, but then it was back to work, you know? They sat for a few minutes, and they, they ate all they wanted of this great variety of foods and meats. Uh, as slaves, I think that's hardly true, that they had their fill all the time. They conveniently forgot the lash of the taskmaster, the anguish of their hearts to be free, and the back-breaking work that Pharaoh was making them do. All those cries for deliverance, and now they're like, ah, let's go back there. I get it. They were in imminent danger of being starved. Well, except for the fact that it was the Lord who clearly brought them out of Egypt, clearly did all these miracles and brought them through the Dead Sea on dry ground. I mean, surely... God wouldn't drop the ball at this point. Oh, oops, I forgot about food. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we don't know what to do about that. I guess they'll just starve to death. I don't think so. If God did all of those miracles, don't you think he'd carry on? (laughs) Why would he drop the ball for us then? You know, when we think about the miracles of God's love, sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins, the Bible, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What an amazing promise. And the point is, God redeemed us. God blessed us with a relationship with himself. Don't you think he's going to look after things like food and water and clothing and shelter? Do you perceive perceive God as your provider? The Bible says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Not according to your needs so much, but according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What are the riches and glory? Well, God can do anything. (laughs) You know, The Bible says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven not give good things to those who ask him? Have you been asking God 
for health? Have you been asking God for blessings? What have you been asking God for? So the third thing I want to point out about this default setting that we have, that it is grumbling, sorry, grumbling is contagious. It's a contagious problem. You know, in verse 2 it says, when the whole congregation of Israel complained, it doesn't take for long for one person grumbling over here and another person over there and another one over there. And pretty soon everybody's grumbling. The whole place. I'm telling you, complaining loves company. Misery loves company. Complainers have already failed the test, though. This is interesting. God responds gently and generously to their grumbling and complaining. In verse 4, the Lord says, I will rain down bread from heaven. (laughs) What? I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. I can just imagine loaves of bread falling from the sky. Like, what is that going to look like? The people are to go out each day and gather enough bread for that day. And in this way, I will test them to see whether they follow my instructions. This is very interesting. God says, well, I'm going to rain down bread on you. And this is going to be a test to see if you'll follow what I tell you to do. They've already been tested. And they kind of failed. You know, they've been tested with all this need for bread. And they kind of failed that test. They're grumbling away. And now God says, okay, well, I'll provide for you, but I'm going to give you another test. And this is what what Chuck Swindoll comments. He says, what an interesting announcement. I will meet your need for hunger, but the meeting of that need will bring another test. (laughs) Haven't you found that to be true? I sure have. We find ourselves in the midst of some predicament that we can't get away from. And God says, okay, I'll provide a way out. I'll show you the way. And we accept his answer, and we're so grateful. Oh, this is amazing. But his new direction introduces a whole new set of tests and trials of a different kind. So we're relieved with the wilderness problem, but we gain a new problem. And that's exactly what was going to happen with the Israelites. The gathering of manna was going to be a test of their obedience. Complainers are always looking for someone to blame. They accused Moses of leading them into the wilderness to kill them. They thought that they were only venting their frustration on a man like themselves. And maybe this is the way we vent our frustration sometimes. We blame people or governments or or whatever, um, big pharma. We blame all kinds of people. But we forget that maybe we're grumbling against God. As I already pointed out, uh, they were grumbling against God. Moses makes it absolutely very clear. So maybe we need to repent of our grumbling. It really does fly in the face of God's sovereignty. You know, God is sovereign over all. And if we're grumbling, we're grumbling against God ultimately. Fourthly, Complainers are never satisfied with what they're given. (laughs) Verse 13 says, That evening quail came and covered the whole camp. Can you imagine? (laughs) Enough quail to cover the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew on the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is that? What is it? So they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread that God has given you to eat from heaven. You know, in Psalm 73, this is called the bread of angels. I love that, you know. Uh, 
he, God commands the skies above to open, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down manna for the people to eat, and he gave them grain from heaven. Human beings ate the food of angels and sent them all the food they could eat. What an awesome thing. What a beautiful picture of God giving us manna. Manna was described as having the appearance of flakes or, or small ground grains, like white coriander seed, it says. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Hmm, sounds like graham crackers. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> of course, eventually, after eating this day after day, year after year after year, eventually, the people having this manna stuff start complaining about that. They complain about the very provision of God. Um, and in Numbers 11, we read that, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we had in Egypt and no cost, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and garlic. Oh, man. No, we have this stupid manna. It's all we get to see. God provided, but it's not what they preferred. Fifthly, complainers are never satisfied with how much they are given. <laughs> in the 16th, uh, verse 16, the children of Israel are given specific instructions on how to gather the manna. This is what the Lord commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take a ho- ho- omer for each person you have in your tent. So, you know, the parents would, you know, if they had three kids, well, they'd collect five omers. Uh, that was the plan. And Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it till morning. However, some of them failed the test. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept a part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Hey, I can imagine that, you know, if you've run out of food and suddenly there's food laying all over the, 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 the desert floor and you, you know, you haven't seen food provided for 45 days, you might go running out there and just take a little more than an omer for yourself. I get it. But this, these efforts to hoard the manna was direct disobedience to God's instructions. It seems greed, grumbling, and disobedience, they all go together. Now, number one says the Israelite army was about 600,000 men. So it's usually estimated that there were about 2 million uh, Israelites leaving Egypt. And each one to, was to collect an omer. Now, an omer is about three and a half pounds of stuff. So uh, if everyone got an omer, that, that's two million times three and a half pounds of this manna stuff? That'd be seven million pounds. Now, we all know that seven million pounds is a lot, right? It's actually... 3,500 tons of food. Have you ever seen one of these hopper trains on a car? Well, they carry 90 tons of Canadian wheat. And every day they travel from Saskatchewan to Vancouver. All summer long, all, even in the winter, they're constantly carrying these trains. But you know that this 90 tons, this is an enormous container of, uh, of grain. Seven million pounds would fill up about 39 of these hopper cars. (laughs) Every day, a train load of grain shows up at their doorstep or or whatever this man is. Uh, 
you know that crossing the Red Sea, people always go like, oh, wow, they have doubts about these walls of water standing up on both sides as the Israelites pass through. They go, oh, come on, could not God really do that? I'm telling you, there's a greater miracle here. God providing 39 hopper loads of grain or of, of manna every day? <laughs> wow. And according to verse 35, he did it for 40 years. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Cana. <laughs> 40 years? That would be 570,000 cars with 90 tons each. So in conclusion, I'd like to ask ourselves three, question, three questions. <laughs> Do you really believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that when God says he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Riches and glory? That's more than 570,000 90-ton hoppers of grain. You know, Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. What about you? Do you look to the Lord for your supply? Or you just think, oh, my own strength is going to, you know, I'm going to work hard and that's going to make me money and that's what's going to provide my needs. Or are you looking to God, the maker of heaven and earth, to provide you with what you need from heaven? I have to admit that being, you know, self-motivated, self-driven person, I sometimes rely on myself. But this passage is very clear just to take enough for your daily needs out in the middle of a desert and just wait upon the Lord for provision. That is so foreign to me, I cannot believe it. And yet that's what this passage is telling us, to wait for God's provision. Wait on the Lord for the daily needs. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you should eat or what you should drink or about your body, what you should wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap. They do not sow. They do not store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more precious, more valuable than they are? Can anyone of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I love that. No matter how much we worry about COVID, no matter how much we complain about it, we can't change it. <laughs> Sorry about that. You can't change the facts. So why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not decked out like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not more clothe you, you little faith? Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? I think that last one's particularly for the teenagers, you know. What shall we wear? And, sorry, I didn't mean to pick on anyone there. <laughs> for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows that you need clothing. God knows that you need drink. God knows that you need food. But seek his, for his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What an awesome promise. And that's really what, I, what we're talking about today. 
Hudson Taylor really understood this verse. Seek first God's kingdom. Don't worry about the rest. It'll all happen. I know some of you have lost jobs. I know some of you, your careers are on hold. Your finances are in the dumpster. But my friends, seek his kingdom first. God will provide the rest. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, the Bible says. Are you content with the daily rations that God gives you? Manna manna was to be gathered daily. Fresh food gathered every day. You can't live on yesterday's blessings. God wants you to provide his blessings something fresh for today. We cannot live on what we gathered yesterday. You might think back to all of the great things that God has done for you in your life. Yes, those are important to keep your hopes up and your spirits up. But you can't live on the experience of being filled with the Spirit way back 40 years ago. You can't live on the experience of of having the new birth way back, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. We, We need to be connected with God daily, every day. You know, Jesus said, taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. It wasn't about, you know... You know, I almost found this redundant. Give us today our daily bread. It, like, are you saying it twice there? Why not just say, give us our bread today? But no, it refers to day, today, refers to the time, and the daily is the amount. Just enough for today. Just what we need. And so we need to participate in this daily spiritual breaking of bread with the Lord. You know, in two weeks, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to come back to this passage and talk about how Jesus fulfills this and, and that Jesus is the true bread from heaven. And we ought to be participating and feeding our souls daily on that bread. But for today, I guess I just want to remind you that God provides for our needs. You know, uh, John Renz, uh, a friend of Martin Luther, he, uh, he was one of the stalwarts of the Reformation. And he incurred the hatred of Charles V, who made many attempts to kill this minister. And on hearing that a, a troop of Spanish cavalry was on their way to his little town to arrest him, he cast himself upon God in prayer. And at once, God spoke to him, take a loaf of bread and go into the upper town and find a door open and enter and hide thyself in the roof. And so he listens to this divine command. He grabs a loaf of bread, heads off, and he found an an open door in the upper town. And he climbs into this attic with one loaf of bread. Now, he was up there for 14 days with one loaf of bread, no water. And the Spanish were looking for him all over the place. How... Could he survive up there? No water. Hot roof. Guess what? God provided a chicken. Came up there every day and laid an egg up there without cackling. Now that's a miracle right there. <laughs> a chicken laying an egg without cackling. I always cackle. We had 500 of them. It was a noisy place. <laughs> and every day he got an egg. So he was able to get some liquid and nourishment every day. Fifteenth day, the chicken didn't come. But then he, John heard the people in the street saying, Oh, they're gone at last. 
and the Spanish had left. And he came out. Now, you might think that, oh, well, that sounds like a biblical story. I mean, that only happens long ago. No, it doesn't only happen long ago. It happens all the time. You know, in the life of Eastgate Alliance Church, I can think of two incredible provisions of God for our needs. Provisions, for a provision of things that we didn't have. I remember when, or I was told about this story about how Eastgate, when it first started, they, they rented this building from Corey's school, uh, from the st- school board. It didn't have any students in it, so the school board rented it to them. And one day it came up for auction. And uh, the, uh, you know, you, you could put a bid on it. And so the church kind of went like, well, what are we going to bid? You know, we, we've got 125000 in the bank right now that we've been saving up to buy a building. And uh, this one's coming on, on auction. And, uh, you know, we're going to get another 75000 from Cedarview, from the sale of the Bank Street Church. Maybe we should offer 200000 And the pastor said, no, we don't have that money. Let's just offer the money we have in the bank which was 125000 That's the bid that was put on this property. Now, this property was estimated value at three hundred and fifty dollars to $400,000. Three to four times the amount of the bid, or two to three, well, three times the amount of the bid. And yet, it was the winning bid. Unbelievable. What an incredible thing. And, you know, the newspaper recorded it as school board sells uh, school at bargain basement price. (laughs) That's how the newspaper recorded it. But we know that this was God's provision. And when the $75,000 came, they put it in the bank. And you know, over the next two years, that money incurred $30,000 in interest. And that's how they built this sanctuary that I'm in right now, with that money. The same thing happens when, when if, um, five years ago, when we were going to build the Mandarin Sanctuary, and we prayed, and we prayed. Oh, I, I forgot to mention that the elders sent, or the, the pastor sent the elders to the four corners of this property to pray for this property before they put that bid out there. And God answered that prayer. And do you remember when we were went out to the corner of the property to ask God to remove the rock from the ground? And we asked him to remove the rock. We had a bid for, a, uh, we thought that it was going to cost 200000 to put in a sewer line to Montreal Road. But guess what? We found out later that that didn't include the rock removal. The 200000 was just, just the installation of the pipe. It was going to cost another 500000 to remove the rock. And we were freaking out. And I, was, I thought the whole project was dead. And I went to the Lord, and the Lord gave me peace about it and said, Go ahead, I provide. I'm, a, I'm providing God. And so we had this prayer meeting out in the corner of the promise, prom, property in, in the light drizzle that day, I still remember. And then the next, a couple of days later, a backhoe came to dig to find out how deep the rock was. He hit rock this deep. I was so mad at God. I was just like, God, I thought you called me to tell the people to go out there and pray. And we prayed, and now there's rock right there. You didn't remove any of the rock. I was not happy. (laughs) Um, But long story short, we got some other prices for the, the sewer line. And finally, do you know that that sewer line was dug 
and installed for $200,000 and not a penny was spent on rock removal. God removed 350 tons of rock out of that, out of the ground, jackhammer beating away at it with a huge backhoe for three months for free. God really did answer our prayer. And he removed that rock for free. And uh, I'm still blown away by it. I cannot believe it. So these are modern examples of God providing. Yes, it wasn't maybe as miraculous as bread falling from heaven. But to me, that's pretty miraculous. And so we have a great God who's a providing God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to how you provide for your people. We ask, Lord, that we would take you at your word, that you as a father look after us. And so, Father, we pray that you would change our hearts to be from grumblers to rejoicers, from complainers to uh, thanksgiving, giving of thanks. Lord, change our hearts, for we ask these things. And, Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith to trust for your daily provision. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.